Simply Financial with Certified Financial Planner Christopher Calandra is an innovative, comprehensive, informative, and cutting-edge podcast that discusses financial topics ranging from personal finance, economics, politics, and personal growth. Simply Financial will cover intriguing and thought-provoking questions so that the listener can simply increase their financial IQ. Welcome to episode number 17 of the Simply Financial podcast. I am your host, Christopher Calandra. I appreciate you joining me for today's episode. On today's episode of the Simply Financial podcast, I am pleased to have with me in studio Marsha LaRue. She is the president and owner of Forward Motion LLC. She's a career strategist and she works with both job seekers and employers to ensure business and career success. And we're going to talk today about millennials. Marsha works and has researched and spoken about millennials for quite a while now, especially in the last year. I think it's an intriguing topic because of the reputation millennials have and the impact that they've begun to have and will continue to have in the economy, both as consumers and as employees and as business owners. So first off, we were talking before we even started recording, Marsha, could we just define roughly what age bracket is millennials? It's a cultural generation. When would you have to be born at the beginning of the generation to be a millennial? Thank you for the question and thanks for having me here today. Uh, There's a lot of conjecture about who the millennials are in terms of the birth year and the, the the term was actually coined for those students who were graduating in, at the turn of the century. So that's right. why they were called millennials. Mm-hmm. But if we take a look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, who determines generations, from the silent generation to boomers to Gen X to Gen Y and now Gen Z, they determine a, a generation is based on when one generation begins having children. So when does a generation start? When a generation starts having children, we have a new generation. So if we take a look at 1945, we find one group, they started having children, they were 20 years old. So that generation goes to 1965. And that generation started having children in 1985. So the generation that we're talking about, the millennials, began, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, in 1985. The thing that's important is they're looking at when do people start having children. And every generation prior to now started having children when they were 20 years old. But this generation is waiting an extra five years. Okay. So according to Bureau of Labor Statistics, you're looking at roughly 85, 1985 to 2010? Correct. Culturally, we talked about it. Some people will pull in folks born between 1980 and 1985, and they may cut it somewhere in the early 2000s or 2000s. Um, but let's just talk about the reputation because it's interesting to me. I did an interview with uh, a, a good friend of mine, a successful business guy, David Famiglietti. It was episode number six of the Simply Financial podcast, and he was born in 1980, and I interviewed him on the podcast. And I kind of teased him a little bit, and I described him as a successful millennial. Hmm. And part of it was, I thought he was a millennial, but by your definition, he's not. But part of it was also to needle him a little bit. Sure. And he, I got the reaction as I wanted. He was born in 1980, 
hardworking, family-oriented, smart, entrepreneurial, successful guy. And he didn't want to be associated with millennial labels. He has mm. a very negative connotation of that. So can you just talk to me in your experience, what is this negative reputation that kind of makes its way through the public discourse in the country today? What, what is the negative reputation? Depends who you ask. If you ask managers, they're frustrated that they, they come to work, they're on their phones all day, they come late, they don't see a problem with that. If you talk to parents, well, they're in the basement still and they're living at home. Um, if you, you, know, you talk to teachers and the teachers are frustrated that every time there's a problem, their parents email them. The teacher... You know, and I and I and I had a focus group for the last several years, and I was talking to them. I said, "Did did your parents were they involved with what classes you took and your grades and stuff?" And they all looked at me like, "Yeah, <laughs> okay, that's that's that." So there's a lot of reasons, and it's and and what I think is happening is that first of all, every young generation's been an annoyance to the older generation. Yeah, it goes with <laughs> it, the territory, right? It, it was. I mean, I was an annoyance. I was a classic annoyance to my parents. And uh, and this group is no different in that respect, but I think they have bigger challenges. Yeah. So is part of the negative reputation also around, and I think there's ample evidence to, to back some of this up, that they are maturing or entering into classic adulthood a little later than previous generations. They're a little older when they graduate from school. They're a little older when they buy their first home, they're getting married later, they're having children later, so you have family formation is being delayed, and so that they're they're maturing slower? Is, is that part of it? Is that a fair characterization? Or let me ask it this way before you answer, Marsha. Is that part of the negative reputation that they have? Is that they... Um, that they're immature in their early 20s compared to previous generations? Well, and there's a lot of guff that they take that... You know, I started my first job when I was 18 years old right. and so forth and so on. But, well, but like you said, that's generational. I got that. I'm a Gen Xer, and my parents, apparently, they walked uphill, uphill to and from <laughs> school, school, and yeah. it snowed every day. I that's think. right. That's right. All summer long. Well, that's, that's, that isn't fair, because in this generation, um, the average well, we're in Connecticut, so the average salary of this generation right now of people who are working, so that's 18 years to 32 years old, is $11.20. Now, who can live on their own wow. for, and start a family and let's get a house there, you know, because we need to sell houses to this group? Well, it's not fair to say they should be out there doing it. Why are they delaying to 2010? C economics. It's the economy. Sure. They can't. Now, this whole other piece you were talking about, we kind of set them up. We, we have trashed this group, and I, and I take part of that myself. We told them, go to college, get a degree, you'll have a career, and you'll have a job. And they come out of college, and it's not true. And it's like they did their part, right. and it's not there. So that's one of the myths that we gave them. And when they were growing up, we, had, we went through this whole period in the U.S. where everybody gets a trophy. Might not be as big a trophy, but everybody gets a trophy. A participant ribbon. A participant ribbon. And so we set them up also to think, you know, we want you to be special. You're going to be special. You're going to have everything has been there for them, and now there's nothing. And now I take a look at their technology and what they're up against. They know about the national debt. They know about environmental concerns. This, is, this, this stunned me when I started looking into this. They know about 
the national debt, the economy, all the other challenges that are going on, what do you think is their number one concern about the workplace? This took me totally off guard. I don't know. I'll, I'll, it's a complete guess, and I'm sure I'm wrong, but uh, that uh, it's not fulfilling. Um, You're well on the right fulfill. track there. Everybody wants a fulfilling job with them. Yeah. But the number one concern, safety. If, if you look at a map of terrorism in the U.S. and you see the East Coast is really? all red. And safety comes out to be the number one concern on the job. Who would have thought? So when we take a look at what we're thinking about when these people come to work and businesses want them to come to work energetic and ready to go and you should be glad that you have this job and I hired you at $11.20 and these young people are grieving. They are mourning. You told me I could have a career in anything I wanted. Why am I here doing this? I didn't go to school and learn Chinese and this other stuff to do this. They're grieving the end of their career, their hopes, their dreams. And, you know, I ask large groups of people, how many of you, how many of your life worked out the way you thought? Nobody answers that. You know, right. nobody. But I had 10 years after I graduated college before it hit. You know, before I realized life isn't fair, I need to go on. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't hit me before I even got my diploma. You're lucky. <laughs> So, so is it fair to say that millennials are characterized by, they're familiar with communications, with media technology, they are very technologically friendly. Is that, is that fair as a generalization? It's fair as a generalization in a part of the millennials. So I, I run a music group and I've got several millennials. I can't get them to respond to a text, an email, or a phone call because they don't want it. Okay. Uh, talking with some millennials looking for, for, for work and trying to get them involved in a good way with recruiters and so forth. And they're like, no, it, it feels like I'm begging for work. It, it, they don't like it. So before we get too much farther in, can you just set the stage? And I probably should have done this earlier. Forgive me is, you know, give me some of the key millennial statistics, including the size of the millennials. Um, it's a really big group, right? It's it's surprisingly big. Can you touch Bigger, on that? Yeah, the there are 78 million boomers, and we thought, at least I'm a boomer, so yeah. I thought I was one of the biggest generations in the whole history of the world. There's 100 million millennials, 78 wow. versus 100 million. So when I say they're going to dominate the workforce for 50 years, they're going to, sure. and we need to be ready for that. So this huge, massive... Now, they are technologically savvy, because it's always been with them. Whether they like to use it personally or not is really neither here nor there. They are technologically savvy, and with all the technology coming into the workplace, this is the only country in the world, the USA, that has a tech-savvy early career group that is ready to go to work. And I think it spells some really good things for the yeah, U.S. That's cause for tremendous optimism. Yes. Uh, so you're, you're a career strategist. You work with lots of different people, different career choices, age groups, skill levels, educational backgrounds. Is that fair mm, statement yes, about forward motion? So. It's one of probably one of the great strengths of your company is mm -hmm. that it's not so niche oriented. You get a great, great cross section of people, so you could see what's going on in the marketplace, not mm -hmm. just a sliver of the marketplace. Right. right. So, um, how are they approaching their careers and futures? At least the millennials that you're working with that are working age? 
some like a deer in the headlights, some with tell me what I need to do because I don't get how hiring is being done. And it's interesting that 40% of all the people unemployed in the U.S. are millennials, of the, of the whole unemployment bucket. Really? 40% are millennials. You were asking for some numbers. And only 27% of them come out of college and get a job remotely related to their degree. That's something that you see a lot, and it's alarming. Uh, my daughter is a senior in high school. She's going to be going to college. And you're not envisioning sending your child to college to get a degree and to work hard for four years. And there's a tremendous cost, whether the mm. parent is paying or there's loans or even if it's a scholarship. It's an expensive endeavor for someone. Someone's yes. got to pay. And then to get out of school and then to be bartending. Not that there's anything wrong with bartending. That's... Um, work is noble and... Anybody who knows me knows I like to be at the other side from yes. the bartender. Mm -hmm. But that's not what you hope for, and that's not what you're striving for when you go to school. But it, you, you see it, um, you know, you do you do see it a lot. This They're employed, but they're underemployed based on their yes. skill sets and their aspirations. So, and, and I get, okay, so I taught college for over 20 years. And I, and I have to say I am livid with our colleges and universities because five out of six college grads have nothing lined up when they graduate. And so we, we talk really? about, yes, nothing. That Zilch. statistic shocks me. 86% of college grads have nothing lined up. So in, in saying to people, when you get into your sophomore year, that, that summer and the next summer needs to be as an intern somewhere with work environment yeah. in a place that hires their intern. When they're finished with that, right. as opposed to someone who they bring in in the summer to make coffee. I, I, I don't know how the rest of the conversation will go, but I can't imagine you would throw something out at me that would shock me more than... The five out of six. five out of six. Nothing. So this, this, this is a national issue, in my opinion, and colleges and universities should be ashamed of this this particular issue. Yeah. And when we go to, I'm preparing people to go to college and find out where they want to go and what they're going to major in, and questions that I am asking, what do your grads do when they finish here? Do you have any kind of pre-assistance to ensure that they're taken care of right after college, which is the most stressful time in a young person's life? First time in their world, they really don't know what they're going to do, mm -hmm. is right after college. Makes complete sense. So, what do they see as their urgent needs in today's economy and culture? Millennials. First of all, hope and a career outlook. If okay. if I could, part of the, the most, biggest challenge I have sometimes is this hope, because they start this, and as one young man said, nobody told me it was going to be this hard coming out. I was told to go to college and and major in what I loved. And so I did. And I did it, and I did it well, and I worked hard. And then I get out, and nobody said there wouldn't be any jobs that I could apply for. So hope is critical. Also, empowering these young people with a strategy. This is how hiring is done. These are the steps to go through it. Getting a job is an up-and-down kind of thing. Another word for job-seeking is rejection. Mm -hmm. So managing that and not taking it personally and preparing them. So those are critical things and skills, and, and the schools are not doing anything. Matter of fact, most schools 
and in the state of Connecticut, almost all schools have put all career help online. There's no human being behind it, most of the part. Go online. This really? is how we do a resume. Do that. You bring it in. Maybe we'll look at it. They're not preparing them. Wow. All right. So what motivates them? So we've talked a little bit about the fears and concerns that they have and that you said, I think, you used the term, they, they've a little bit been set up for failure. So w what motivates them? What gets them enthused, excited? What does make them hopeful? I'm working with an engineer in uh, Ohio, and uh, he applies for a job working in a juice factory. And he is so excited that they would talk to him after applying for engineer jobs. We're, we're overstacked with engineers right now in the U.S. Really? The, the STEM thing is an illusion. I'd like to talk about that if you have the okay. time here. Yeah. But so he's an engineer and he's looking and he got out and he worked for a major company and so forth and they treated him awful to the point that he realized for his own health he had to leave and he did so here he, he, he goes back home sound familiar and he starts looking and nobody no engineering jobs no no a juice company wants to hire him for ten dollars an hour and he's psyched because they would talk to him <laughs> and he said they would talk to me I was so glad I'd be glad for a rejection letter. And so he goes in, and they offer him the job, and he's double psyched. And then they say to him, $10 an hour. We're, we're, we're going to give you this job for $10 an hour. It is 25 hours a week, and we're asking you for a two-year commitment. They're asking him to take all the risk and stop his job search. And, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm like, well... I mean, as you were saying that, I mean, people can't see me, but like I was cringing as yes. you were telling the back half of that story. Yes. I just absolutely cringing. Yes, and, I, and I'm saying to him, well, let's count the cost of this job. And then I asked him, what is the company doing? What are they willing to do if they're asking you to take this risk? Are they going to guarantee you two years in case it folds? Because it's one of those places you walk in the front retail and people order a juice with mm -hmm. this, that, and the other... Well, four out of five of those go by the wayside. So what if they collapse? Are they going to give you two years of whatever? The answer is no, of course. Mm -hmm. So companies asking, especially new employees and young early career people, to take all the risk is one of my pet peeves. Wow. And I could tell from as your body language, it's one of yours too. So, Yes. Now, as an employer, I could empathize, right? Because if, if there's a little bit of when you're negotiating with someone... There's a little bit of, you know, you want to get as much as your wish list checked off mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the person on the other side, they want to get as much as their wish list checked off. And you got to kind of come to an agreement. Uh, but if I went to engineer school, or let's just say my daughter went to engineer school, mm -hmm. and then graduated and was not having success in her field... And then was simply excited because somebody would talk to her and then got that job offer, I would feel disappointed for my daughter. I'm not saying I would say don't take it or take it. I would just say I would be disappointed. That's not for how sure. I would play it out in my head for her. Exactly. This whole idea we have of what it's going to look like when they graduate college and what their life's going to yeah. be looking like and the reality of things today. And, and one of the hardships is they know what they want. They have that idea of what would be terrific in terms of a career. But the whole idea that it might take three or four steps to get there, right. that's foreign to them. Mm -hmm. So struggling sometimes to say, 
I have to start here. Maybe it's operations support. Maybe it's office support in order to get to the next position and then find a job in marketing and so forth. And at this point, at least in, in my practice, I've worked with enough of them to be able to cite and say, let, let, me, let me show you so-and-so. She has a marketing degree, but this is how she got where she is now. Because I've been working with them for enough years to say there is a stepwise progression. Uh, they won't be in that first job forever. They, they don't realize that. That's what they think. I'll be there forever. I can't do it. But it's, it's not true, and there is a progression if they're willing to do the work. So help me out with this. The generation that came before the baby boomers is what generation? The generation? Silent. That, silent generation. Mm -hmm. So that's like uh, the Great Depression mm -hmm. type generation. So, you know, it seems to me when I came into the industry as a financial advisor, it started in 1992. So the silent generation was an important potential target market. Mm -hmm. And so... Often we were told and learned and I experienced that that generation, so much of their views of money was greatly shaped by going through the Great Depression. Yes. That there was nothing you can show them academically, no story you could tell, no uh, illustration that's going to change what they experienced in the Great Depression. I had a teacher and she had money in six banks. Right. Yep. That's right. And so the reason why I bring that up is thinking about the millennials, um, their Great Depression was the Great Recession. At this point, yes. And, well, hopefully there's not another one. They're talking about that. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so can you discuss how that impacted, uh, how you think that impacts and shapes what millennials think and... Well, I was going to go on a riff, but maybe I'll go on it afterwards. But go ahead. We'll have you go first, and then I'll shoot my mouth off. Well, this is part of my theory about the millennials, is that they're experiencing the Great Recession at different times. So those that experience the Great Recession when their parents maybe lost their house, maybe their uncle and aunt lost their house and their car and their jobs, so they experienced it, could, could have been in 2008. They might have been 14 years old. Right. So there was a shift there. But some of them are experiencing it now when they graduate college. Nothing really happened to them in 2007, 2008, their knowledge. And, and I was working with their parents and people laid off, and I'd say to them, have you talked about your daughter and that maybe horseback riding lessons this summer isn't an option because they're both out of work? <laughs> and, and they couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. They couldn't say, I, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. So this young person didn't experience it. But then they graduate college, and it's like, Whoa, and those going into college right now are looking at the debt and all the and what debt has done to their parents, right? And they're experiencing it very differently. So I think that as we, excuse me, want to work, want to put millennials into a big pile, we really have to divide them up. And I think the thing that divides is when did they experience the Great Recession, in what way, and that takes a huge toll on how they're looking forward. Yeah, but. But I would submit to you, and, and maybe there'll be some disagreement here, but I would submit to you that whether they experienced it or they saw their parents go through it, or now they may not even realize that they're in a, an, an economy and an economic world that's just so much different than it was before, that that it, it tremendously shapes everyone, maybe in different ways, but mm. that is... It is enormous, and I I think I look at it this way, being more of a financial guy, 
is that the U.S. economy from 2000 through 2016 underperformed the long-term economic growth trend. So mm-hmm. for the longest time, the U.S. economy grew on average at about 3.5% gross domestic product GDP growth. From 2000 to 2016, we grew at about half of that. Mm-hmm. Under the previous eight years of President Obama, this is not a political statement, but under the previous eight years of President Obama, the economy only grew at 1.5%. And so if you're a millennial that, let's say, was born in 85, 90, 95, pick your year, you've yet to see the economy grow at the historical rate the U.S. economy grew. That is a unique experience for them compared to anybody else they're coming into contact with. I remember, even though I was a child, I remember the 80s, right, Mm -hmm. which was a great time economically where the U.S. economy, now it's not like it was perfect time, but the U.S. economy grew really strongly and was successful. The 90s was very, very successful. I remember those. I either remember them, I saw my parents gain from it, or I saw it for myself in my career. You talk to somebody today that's 25, they never saw that. Mm -hmm. They've never seen the economy even grow at a rate consistent with the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and I think that really has a tremendous impact on their views, including in the political realm. Well, are they even looking in this direction? Are even there, are they even looking there? For example, people that saw their parents uh, give their life to the corporate world right. and then get thrown out on the street, and they don't want to have anything to do with the corporate world. So, because of what they've seen and experienced. So, I don't know that there's a translation of this is what was going on economically in terms of economic growth in the U.S. and their lives, and especially today. I don't think that they're seeing that, well, the economy's not doing well, so I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't I, think they're making that. I don't know. I, I think I, there's, a, there's a small group up at the top who are going to make it, no matter what, sure. they're going to make it. Those people on top of it, seeing it, yeah, perhaps, but I think there's a group at the bottom as well, but and the people in between, I don't know that those people have the economic awareness and how it translates into right. their world. Probably please please understand, book. I don't think that they consciously are going to make the connection, mm-hmm. but I think that is part, uh, and I could be wrong, I just think that's a part of everything. And I liken it as a sports fan. If you if you rooted for a sports team that always lose, that influences how you're a fan, how you look at other teams, and, and your expectations are different. Whereas if you're rooting for a team that won four or five Super Bowls, it's different. Um, so, I don't know. That's maybe an area you and I disagree, which is kind of interesting. Well, I think maybe we have different audiences. Yeah. Truly. So uh, there was a point where I was able to talk with 20 or 30 people in healthcare, millennials in healthcare, professionals, right. and would be asking them things like, um, you know, uh, what, what, where do you see yourself in five years, in 10 years? Where do you think you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're hoping to go? Have you looked at technology, uh, nursing technology, and ner- technologies in 10 years, and so forth and so on? And they're like, no, I'm just trying to get through this week. <laughs> And, and these are people with jobs right. with it. So, mm. I have two final questions. First off is we talked about the Great Recession. Uh, student debt seems also to be an area that has tremendous impact 
uh, because you have more student debt now today than you've ever had. It's epic proportions. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you see that influencing their views on life in general, their career, their aspirations to become wealthy, have families, buy nice things. Do you, do you see much thought about the student loan? Oh, yeah. That's huge on their minds. Student debt. Many of them have parents that have paid for their college, and they are grateful because they see their peers whose parents weren't able to do that. Uh, you won't believe some of the things I do. There are parents who are helping their son and daughter pay off their student debt, and I'm actually helping them negotiate with a company student death relief for the parent mm-hmm. because they do it for, for young people. Right. So why not do it for the parent who's paying off some of that debt mm-hmm. at this point? So I've started queuing companies up as well to say you ought to be doing this because it's part of our national debt and we need to be getting rid of it, first of all. It's an enormous problem. Yes. So And the young people, many of them are like, why do I have to go to college? I don't know what I want to do per se, so I'm not going and I'm not incurring the debt. And I'm, and I'm, that parents are pulling them into my office and say, talk to my daughter, talk to my son. It's it. Yeah, that's a, a topic for a whole nother show, but I have personally no problems with that whatsoever. There's a uh, lot of ways to make a living without yeah. going to college. And good living. Incidentally, bartenders, if they manage the bar, they make six digits. Oh, absolutely. There's, you know, and I've always said, you know, I, my wife and I talk about this regularly is that um, I worked my way through college and mm-hmm. I waited tables. And you know what? If I needed to, I could go weigh tables. Mm-hmm. And if I hustled and weighed tables, I could make a pretty good living. Not to the degree that I am at Elliott Wealth Management, but I would not be living out of my car. I could go weigh tables today and make my way just fine. I talked to a Gen X fellow who said, I will do anything to feed my family. I will clean toilets. I will yeah. do anything to do that. And today with Gen Y, this is I didn't go to school to do that. Right. And so there's a difference. There's there's a difference oh, yeah. in the headset That's, that I'm seeing there. And then my my final question is: So Elliott Wealth Management, we're a financial planning investment management firm, and we have obviously a varied clientele. We have lots of retirees, pre-retirees, and part of the reason why it's a big part of our business and most financial advisors' business is kind of like. Well, it's the uh, the old adage, you know, why did you rob the bank? Well, that's where the money is. Uh, because it's a wealthy market. Uh, but we want to attract millennial clients. It's the next generation. They're going to inherit money. They're going to make their way through their careers. They're going to have an appetite for financial services, whether it's investments, college planning, retirement planning, and so on. But my question for you as we wrap up is... Uh, in trying to attract millennials, what advice would you give me to help me attract millennials as clients? An excellent question. Not surprising, but an excellent question. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think you're already on to it based on some other conversation we've had. As long as the, since the millennials are waiting five more years to have a family, when they have that family, everything changes because they, they need to take care of the family. So at that moment, that's when the future comes into focus. So we're looking at people that are a little bit later. They're 25, 30 years old. Mm-hmm. So if it were me, I would be finding some, some millennials who are early family, uh, like you, you were talking to me about a wonderful young couple who wants to get into a bigger house, that kind of thing. That is the time. So I think it's a timing thing. 
And when that ha- biology is going to take its course. Yeah. So as biology takes its course, that's the time. Very good. Thank you for the advice. Thank you for joining me today. I really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you, Chris. We agree on a lot. <laughs> Millennials, the, the, the <clears throat> reputation they have is mostly not completely unfair. We agree about that. I, we do. And then maybe on uh, an upcoming episode, we could kick around that Great Recession thing because I'd like to explore that some more. i got to give that some thought. But thank you for joining me. I will be back with you on an episode of the Simply Financial Podcast very soon. In the meantime, please share this and other podcast episodes with friends, family, coworkers. You could subscribe to the podcast at the Elliott Wealth Management website. That's www.elliottwealth.com. That's two L's, two T's. And you can subscribe to the podcast by going to iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Thank you very, very much. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of SagePoint Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against a loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and advisory services are offered through SagePoint Financial Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC are not affiliated with SagePoint Financial. 